So it was November of 2010, Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, the 197th Fires Brigade, about a little over 2,000 soldiers, was getting ready to deploy. There had been about a two-and-a-half-month training period, the mobilization station, to get ready for the deployment. And within the next few days, in various chocks, the unit was about to go overseas. And I was one of six chaplains that was part of that unit. And we had our chapel service on the Sunday before we were getting ready to leave. I don't know, maybe 50 or so soldiers were gathered. And after the service, a soldier came up to me. And like many, this was not his first deployment. He'd deployed before. And so he shared with me, he said, Chaplain, last time I deployed, I remember the day before I left, I was really scared. But this time I'm not. Thank you for that message. And so the message that I preached at that chapel service uh, was based on the passage that we're going to look at today, which is Judges chapter 6. And this passage of scripture, among other things, helps us to understand what it's like to face fear when we're following God. So I want to take a look at these verses together, make some observations from Judges chapter 6. Let's start reading at verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. When God comes down and speaks to us, it's an invitation for us to look at the bigger picture. We see that here as the Lord spoke to the Israelites and then spoke to his servant Gideon. God invites us to focus on the bigger picture picture. Book of Judges, we've got these series of cycles of uh, obedience and victory followed by disobedience and failure. Repeat. 
we see these cycles over and over again. And we're in a downward cycle here and the uh, Midianites, these marauding nomads had come in and were terrorizing Israel. And God sends a prophet to the people to tell them why that is. And in uh, verse 10, it says, you have not listened to me. And so because of their disobedience, the Israelites were facing overwhelming enemies. Now, in our lives, we often face overwhelming enemies. And whether it's Midianites or migraines or marauders or money problems or people with swords or people with slanderous words, whatever it might be, there are these enemies that can tend to feel overwhelming. And when we are in that position, we sometimes wonder, how did I get here? Now, we have to be very careful because sometimes um, it's directly as a result of things that we've done wrong. But we can be pretty clear when that's the case. If we are traveling down the highway at a high rate of speed and we get pulled over by a, a trooper, we might tend to say, God, why me? If we're not paying attention, right? But if we're paying attention, it's pretty clear. Sometimes we do things that get us in positions that we'd rather not be in. But very often, it's not the case that we can see a direct one-to-one -one correspondence between our, our difficulty and anything that we have done, because the world is just filled with difficulties. And the sins of the ancestors can be visited on the children, and the sins of society can impact individuals. And so it's important for us to pay attention to what we do, but we shouldn't always think that when something bad happens, that it's, it's because God is punishing us. It's much more complex than that. But what we should do when we face difficulty is listen to what God might have to say to us. When difficulties come, it's an invitation always for us to listen. The Israelites weren't listening. And so God wanted to get their attention when difficulties face our lives. God wants to get our attention as well. Whether he has sent that particular thing to punish us or not is a different story. It's always a case that God wants us to listen. And then when the story moves in verse 11 from the prophet to the people to the angel of the Lord to Gideon, we see these words, or we see this this picture, Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, I'm not a farmer. I'm certainly not uh, an ancient farmer. I might be ancient, but I'm not a farmer. In the ancient world, there's some things going on that if we're not quite clear on the basics, we don't get the full picture. So a wine press, think of a, a, a pit. In, in the ground that's lined with rocks uh, and they would put the grapes in there and they would, they would uh, step on the grapes, they would press the grapes with various contraptions. It's, it's a big pit 
Okay? Gideon is in that pit. A threshing floor, on the other hand, is uh, an area up on the top of the hill in, in, in uh, exposure to the wind and, and to the elements. It's, it's, it's easy to see because the idea was they would take the, the, the wheat and they would, they would pound it and then they would throw it up in the air and the chaff would blow away and, and the wheat kernels that they wanted to eat would fall down. It's the opposite of a pit. It's, it's up, it's elevated. It's where the wind can do the work of the threshing. And so Gideon is in a pit rather than on a hill. Why? It's because he's afraid. He's afraid of the Midianites. He's afraid of these marauding nomads that are going to take away his, his harvest. When we are uh, afraid, when it appears that the enemies, whatever those enemies might be, are bearing down. Fear can cause us to be confused about things as well, can it? A, a, a wine press is not a place to thresh wheat. And we can go to the wrong place when we're afraid to get relief. Fear causes us to get confused and to substitute. Now, it's very often the case that uh, we know exactly where we need to go and what we need to do in order to get relief from the fear that we face. However, when it comes time for it, we just don't feel like it, so we don't. Church would be a, a, a real good example of that, right? We know, we know. This, this is where we need to be. And so I'm preaching to the choir this morning, right? Uh, this is where we need to be because God wants us to gather together as his people and he wants to speak to us in a special way. But have you ever been here? I just don't feel like it today because, and then we'll fill in whatever it is. I, I haven't been good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm too busy. Whatever it is, we substitute relaxing, staying away, staying home for what we need, which is to go to church. And we do that with so many things. We do that with reading our Bible. We do that with praying. We do that with obeying God in many things, fear causes us to get confused and substitute what uh, God wants us to do with what we want to do. That's where Gideon was. But God showed up. The angel of the Lord came down and says these words in verse 12, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let's try to Picture what's going on. This grown man hunkered down in a pit, scared. Afraid of the marauding Midianites. And what does the angel of the Lord say to him? What does God say to him through the angel of the Lord? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
So he didn't look like a mighty warrior at this point. He didn't feel like a mighty warrior. Otherwise, he wouldn't be hiding in a pit. But God tells him that he is with them. And he has a vision of Gideon that is very different than how Gideon feels at the time. You see, God invites us to look at the bigger picture. He's inviting Gideon to look at the bigger picture rather than focusing on his fear. He wants him to focus on the Lord and his relationship to God so that he can see more clearly what's going on. So in our, in our present circumstances, we stand between God's history of his people in the past and what he's done with us in the past and God's desire and his, his future for his people and for us. In the present, we can experience his presence if we focus on God's bigger picture. God invites us to look in that direction. Let's keep on going. Let's look at verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Let's stop right there for a second. If God invites us to look at the bigger picture, Fear limits us to a tiny picture. God has a big picture. Fear focuses us on a little picture. What does Gideon start doing? Because he's afraid, he starts arguing with God himself. What do we do when we're afraid and God wants us to get up and, and look at the big picture and move out in obedience? We want to focus on the small picture. And we start arguing with God. Let's keep going. The Lord's with us. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. You'll strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. God invites us to the big picture, but fear limits us to a small picture. And Gideon, like us in our fear, wanted to focus on that small picture and came up with many excuses as to why God's picture was not appropriate for his life. Notice that in his excuses and in his questioning, Gideon is dismantling the very thing that God said to him uh, through the angel of the Lord back in verse 12, what did he say? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He gave a picture of, uh, of, of himself, God's, a picture of God, that he was present with Gideon. He gave a picture of Gideon 
that Gideon was a mighty warrior with God's presence in his life. And so what does Gideon do? He questions both. He questions God's power and he questions his own worthiness to be aligned with the power of God. So first there in... uh, in verse 13, he's saying, is, is the Lord really with us? He's talking to God through the angel of the Lord, by the way, right? He's talking to God. He's saying, Are you, is God really with us? Because if God was with us, then we wouldn't be doing what we're doing now, running from the Midianites. Because what I've heard Gideon says, as he corrects the angel of the Lord and his perception of reality. He says, the way I heard it, when God's with us, uh, our enemies are destroyed. That's what happened in, in Egypt. Basically, what he's saying is, God, what have you done for me lately? You ever felt that way? It's one thing to hear stories about what God's done to others, what God's done in the past, to read the Bible. But in, in our lives, when we feel like we're in a pit hiding from all the difficulties of life, we can tend to say, God, what have you done for me lately? What are you doing for me right now? I had this friend, uh, his name was Bob Frederick. Leanne knows Bob really well. He passed away. Uh, several years ago. In fact, he passed away just a month or two before that November in uh, 2010, just as I was leaving on deployment. Bob was a retired pastor when I knew him. Long history of following the Lord and pastoral ministry around the country, and in his retirement, quote-unquote, he devoted himself to meeting with pastors around New England to, to bring encouragement, and that's how I got to know Bob. And I remember as a young pastor with uh, a young family and uh, mouths to feed, but very little in the offering plate and dealing with the um, challenges of trying to trust the Lord in ministry in the face of what felt like very sparse resources. Bob told me about his experience, he and his wife, Nona Lee and and their uh, five kids, very similar experience early in his ministry. And he would tell his kids this, as they would go out and they would do things as a family, he'd say, Don't let what you don't have destroy the enjoyment of what you do have. That's good advice, right? Well, that's good advice for all of us in relation to the Lord. You see, we can look out and we can say, well, look at what God's doing over there with that person, or look what God's done back there in that situation. But what have you done for me lately? What are we doing? We're comparing or letting what... Uh, we don't have, destroy what we do have, but God says, I am with you to Gideon. Jesus said to us, uh, going to all the world, I am with you always. God is with us. What we have is God. And so 
the manifestation of God's power at any given time may be different than what he's done in, in the past or in the future or with others or, uh, or, 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 or whatever it is we want to look at. But let's not let what we don't have at the moment destroy the enjoyment of what we do have. We have God's presence. Gideon questions God's power in his life. But God said, the Lord said in verse 14, Go in the strength you have. He didn't say, all right, Gideon, you're right. You got me. You don't have enough. Let's get you enough. Let's, let's work out here a little bit. Let's, let's, let's you know, add up to the war chest. Uh, let's, let's prepare a little better. You're right. You got me, Gideon. We're not ready right now. No, he doesn't say that. He said, you're ready right now. Go in the strength you have. Don't let what you don't have Destroy the enjoyment of what you do have. I am with you now. The Lord is with us. Let's go in the strength we have and not wait for more. Not only did Gideon question God's power, but then he goes on. Verse 15. Uh, Pardon me, Lord. You know who you're talking to? It's me, Gideon. Um, not an important guy. I don't belong to important people. My family is the smallest in this tiny little uh, tribe. Nobody pays attention. God, excuse me, but you're talking to me. I'm not able to accomplish anything um, just want you to know that. You got the wrong guy. Again, God said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Having focused on the fact that he was with him and that he was all the strength that Gideon needed, he then uh, speaks to this mighty warrior piece. It isn't because Gideon is so impressive that God chose him. It's just the opposite. It's that God has chosen to be with him, and that's what makes him mighty. I am with you, the Lord answered, and will strike down all the Midianites. Now, it's very natural for us when we're in that pit hiding, confused, with enemies all around, fear is a very real thing and it limits our focus to the small picture and that's, that's understandable. If there's something dangerous right in front of you, we need to pay attention to that and God doesn't tell us to ignore it and pretend like it isn't there. It is there and so focusing on it is important. But if we get tunnel vision and just focus on the danger and don't allow God to open up our vista to see the big picture to see that he is with us and he desires to do a work through us well that's when our honest questions about what God is doing in our lives become excuses and we need to get over it God works with Gideon but Gideon needs to get over it when we're afraid God works with us but we need to get over it. But Gideon isn't quite over it yet. So let's keep on going. Verse 
17. Gideon replies, if I now have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please don't go away till I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. The Lord said, I'll wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, an leaf of flour, made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the yoke. So what is Gideon saying? He's saying, prove to me that it's you. This is not the only time that Gideon asks for a sign. In fact, we won't look at it today. I encourage you to to read uh, further into the story in chapter 7 and 8 and what how this story ends out with Gideon and the Midianites. But he asked for a sign later on. He keeps asking for signs. Gideon had trouble believing God. He kept asking for a sign. And he asked for a sign here. So let's talk about this business of asking for a sign for just a moment. Because you, you see, God gives signs. And God does things that point to himself. And so it's important for us to understand this business of the signs that God gives. Before we do that, we're going to look at a few verses. Let's think about what a sign is. So a sign is something that points to something significant. A sign points the way, right? Now, I ask you to think of a sign. I don't know what pops into your head. Just think of a, 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 a sign along the highway, right? Sign along the highway, it's got some information. You know, it tells you what is at the next exit. It tells you what's around the bend. Several years ago, uh, when we, my family, Leanne and the girls when they were young, when we moved up here to Campton, I was in a, a moving truck. My friend Dave Pinckney, that all of you know, was, was, was helping. He was helping me move, and so he was driving uh, a vehicle, and I, I was driving uh, the, the moving truck. And uh, we got up here just before exit 27 on the highway. So I was moving to Campton. Right there at the Campton line, just about, there's this sign on the highway. It says, entering the White Mountain region. That sign made me feel so happy because I was moving with my family into the White Mountains that I've loved since I was a child. Now, what would it look like if when I saw that sign, I quickly pulled over this U-Haul truck and then backed up so that I was right in front of the sign and just stared at the sign. All right, that'd be a little weird, right? I didn't do that, okay? Why? Because, well, first of all, I don't like driving big trucks and that just terrifies me to think about doing that. Uh, but the sign just points 
to something that's significant, right? The White Mountains. Well, that's what signs are designed to do. And the signs that God gives are, are there to point the way to him. We shouldn't be focused on the signs. We should be focused on the Lord. And if we do that, the signs come into proper perspective. We can look at uh, three signs that the Bible gives. The first one, uh, let me uh, read Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. The psalm goes on and it talks about the heavenly bodies and how they point to a creator who made them. Throughout scripture, there's places where God calls his creation signs that point to himself. In Genesis 1.14, it says, God said, let there be lights, the vault of the sky to separate day and the night. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, days, and years. See, the, they, they point to something. They point to a creator that's built order into the universe and built the seasons. They point to God. Later in the story, in, 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 uh, in, in the story of Noah and the flood, after the flood, God puts a rainbow in the sky and he's, it's a sign of his covenant, right? It points to a creator who made great things. So nature points us to God. When we are facing difficulties in life and the pressures of life are bearing down on us, it's good for us to look up and focus on the big picture and look for signs that God is there. So we're very fortunate, aren't we? We can look out the window. And we can see the beauty of God's creation. That's a sign that God is is with us. God has made us. He's made the world. He's made this part of the world. He's put us in it, in it. And if we have eyes to see, rather than tunnel vision for our fear, if we look up and see the beauty of creation, just looking out the window, better yet, going out and going for a walk, better, better yet, going out and going for a vigorous walk to get the bud pumping so that our bodies are in tune with the uh, creation that God made. And, and so rather than huddling down in fear, we're out and moving in God's creation. That's a sign. It points to the fact there is a God. And he gave us this beautiful creation that we live in. There's another sign. Psalm 19 goes on. We read earlier this morning in our call to worship, starting in verses 7 and then through the end of the chapter, it moves from creation to the Bible. Psalm, 17, Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The Bible is a sign that points us to God. Many things in the Bible that uh, are, are built in that God gives us, if we obey them, they are signposts sign that point us 
to God's presence in our life. One such place is in Exodus 13, starting in verse 8. This is about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and God's um, instructions for the Israelites to keep this feast. And it says, on that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand, a reminder on your forehead. This law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. Just doing obediently what God's word says is a sign. It's like a sign on our hand when when our activity is in line with what God teaches us. That points to God. It's like a, a sign on our forehead when we see one another doing what God tells us to do. That's a sign that points to the fact that God is real and he's present with his people. And when uh, we speak the word of the Lord, if our hands are doing it, if our faces are showing obedience in God's word, then uh, we are not lifting the word of the Lord in vain, taking the Lord's name in vain, as Jeffrey Lee talked about a few weeks ago. But we are actually a sign that it is true when our lives are in obedience however imperfectly, but in obedience to attempt to do what God tells us to do. The Bible is a sign that works its way through us when we obey. And then one other sign, the most important of all. That's Jesus himself. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. says, some Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. None will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Notice what Jesus says about signs. It's a wicked and adulterous generation that asks for a sign. Why is he saying that? He's, he's, he's saying that God's provided signs. He's provided creation. He's provided his word. And here Jesus is saying he's provided himself, the son of God, who would die and spend three days in the earth and then rise again as the greatest sign of all of God's love for us. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22 and 23, says, Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, a foolishness, the Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles, that's saying all of us. In our fear, we can think the signs of God are foolish if we're not paying attention. But if we have the big picture, we see God has provided a sign of his love that is irrefutable. That is, he's given his son to us. So when we in our fear question God, show us a sign. God tells us, look around, look out the window. He tells us, look look in the book. Most importantly, he tells us, look to my son. Those signs aren't enough. There's nothing that God can do that can truly cause us 
to see his presence in our life. God focus, uh, uh, um, invites us to focus on the big picture. Fear causes us to focus on the small picture. Let's finish with these words back in Judges chapter 6, verse 20. After Gideon said, show me a sign, and he set up his display. Verse 20 says, the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat, the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, pour out the broth. Gideon did so. And the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff. It was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. And Gideon realized that, that it was the angel of the Lord. He exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. God invites us to look at the big picture. Fear focuses us on the, on the small picture. How do we overcome the fear? By obeying what God tells us to do. By obeying what God shows us to do. Notice, easy to overlook. Notice what happens here. It says, after this sign happens, after the miracle happens, what happens to the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord disappears. The angel of the Lord, the emissary of, of God that speaks with God's voice to God's people in so many places in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord who's been carrying on this conversation, he disappears. But then what happens? Verse 23, but the Lord said to him, peace, don't be afraid. He had been speaking to the angel of the Lord. Now God is speaking to him directly. Obedience draws us closer to God, even in our fear. In fact, especially in our fear, because it's when fear focuses us and causes us to, to, to become obsessed at the small picture. It's only God's presence that gives us the strength to obey and step out on faith and when we do, we draw closer to God than we ever would if we weren't facing that adversity. Does that not give encouragement? The way to intimacy with God is through the valley of fear. God overcomes fear when we obey his word and draw closer to his presence. So the signs are all around us. God's given them to us. They're written on the sky. They're written in his word. And they're written in the, uh, the imprints of the nails on Jesus' hands through the love that he's shown to us. God desires us as his people to write it on our forehead, to write it on our hands, to, to speak it with our lips as we obey him in the midst of our fear. So 
go in obedience. God's people, for God is with you. Let's pray together. So God, we ask now that you'd cause us to be your people, to depart with your blessing and the peace promised to Gideon, the peace that you promised to us will be with us as we direct our hearts and minds toward the powerful evidence of your presence in our lives. Cause us to be your children, to follow Jesus' example and uh, and, and be your light to the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.